Um, today's scripture reading is from Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 26. It's uh, on page 301 in the, uh, the Bibles that are uh, underneath the chairs. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, feel free to take one. It is a gift from Cornerstone. Um, but uh, Proverbs 12, verse 26, it says, The righteous choose their f- friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The word of the Lord. Great first time reading the scripture passage. Wonderful opportunity to hear from you and from God's word. All right, let me pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Uh, Thank you for this time together this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, encourage us, and mold us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last Saturday, Joe, Jenny, John, myself, all J's, uh, just struck me. We went to a conference uh, in Millis, not yesterday, but it was a very busy day yesterday, right? Uh, uh, last Saturday, went, we went to a conference in Millis, Mass, uh, in uh, kind of the southwest of Boston, near Medway, and the conference was on frontline ministry. Maybe you're familiar with this word frontline and have heard it a couple times here at Cornerstone. I hope you have. Uh, we define our front lines uh, this way. Your front line is the place where you spend the majority of your time outside the church, where you are in contact with non-Christians. So our front line, this this word is often a, like a, it's a, it's a battlefield word, right? The front lines of the battle of the war. Uh, This is not a, meant to be a physical or religious battlefield at all. We are not trying to uh, kind of crusade for the kingdom here. This front line is about spiritual rescue. It's much more about being a medic on a battlefield where we are trying to uh, uh, share the love of Christ and, and rescue those around us in a broken, a broken and hurting world. Now God calls each one of us, every single one of us that are his followers, that are believers, to be out in our own contexts bringing the healing power of Christ to those around us. Now the speaker at the conference is a man named Neil Hudson. Uh, He did the Imagine Church uh, small group series. He's written some books on this topic. Uh, And he defines a disciple of Jesus this way, and I think it's really helpful. A disciple is learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. A disciple learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, How can you do it unto the Lord? How can you do it in a way that is bringing Christ and his presence into the situation? That's part of it. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. And so we need to think about that. And as I was sitting there in this conference and I was thinking about uh, frontline ministry, I I realized that we were just about to talk about this topic in the book of Proverbs because this is what it means to have wise influence in our world. In our context, that's what frontline ministry is. It's all about wise influence. The book of Proverbs, it encourages us to show wisdom, to show discernment, to do so with those we influence and those who influence us. I want to read today's passage, Proverbs 12, 26, in the English Standard Version because I think it uh, really pulls something out. So this is the ESV. We read from the NIV. uh, Alex read from the NIV just a little bit ago. Proverbs 12:26 says this, "One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the one, but the way of the wicked leads them astray." 
One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. <coughs> I love this. I think this is beautiful. If you know Christ, you are a guide to your neighbor, to the people that you are around every single day, on your front line. You are an ambassador, a medic, but you're a guide. Do you think about yourself that way? The Lord has put me where I am around the people I am around to be a guide to them, to him. No. Why do we have to be a guide? <laughs> because the second part of the Proverbs, it says, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That means those that don't know Christ, that don't know God, that they're lost, that they've gone astray. And so we're out there in the world seeking to bring others to Christ. Now, in our conference, we were reminded of the six M's, six ways that we can influence our front lines. Now, these six M's come from our book, <coughs> Fruitfulness on the Frontline. Hopefully, you all have a copy of it. Hey, Aaron, can you grab me a glass of water? <coughs> Fruitfulness on the Frontline, <coughs> and these all come from the book of Proverbs. Let's take a moment here. These things happen. All right, we're reminded of the six M's. Um, these are all different ways that we can be influencing our front lines. This comes from the book Fruitfulness on the Frontline, which we've read as a church. Hopefully, hopefully you have a copy of. But the first three are all about consistency. <clears throat> it can be hard to remember all six M's, and so uh, consistency is a nice word that kind of brings them together. Modeling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love. I've never preached with a lozenge in my mouth, so this is going to be interesting. <clears throat> I hope you'll just bear with me. The second three demonstrate courage, molding culture, a messenger of the gospel, and a mouthpiece for truth and justice. So I hope these are familiar to you. Uh, I've preached on these six M's before. Hopefully you've heard it. You can find it on the website if you haven't. Uh, but I want today's sermon, if you haven't heard these things, to act as a good review. And if you have heard them, uh, well, if you haven't heard them, that it would be a good encouragement. And if you have heard them, that it would be a good review. Because this concept of, of putting, of viewing a whole life ministry, frontline ministry, uh, I want it to be part of our church's culture. Right? We've talked already about church culture this morning. Uh, but we just want to get it into our DNA, to be natural to who we are, that we're automatically talking about our front lines and praying for each other on our front lines. Now, the best part is that this comes from Scripture. This isn't just something that's based on, like, how to grow a church. This is based on uh, Scripture, and we actually find it in the book of Proverbs. So the first one, modeling godly character. This is how we influence others. This is about who we are, uh, the character we have, and then the way we live out uh, that character in life. Just like we influence others, we are often influenced. And Proverbs talks a lot about the ways that we are influenced. The metaphor of lady wisdom 
is one of those big reoccurring themes in the book of Proverbs. And look at the way, I want to show two verses, where she uh, is careful about what influences her. Proverbs 8, 12 through 13. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. So in order to influence others, to be able to influence others uh, in God's name, in Christ's name, we need prudence. We need wisdom. We need knowledge. We need discretion. And at the same time, we hate evil. We stay away from uh, evil behavior, perverse speech, uh, pride, and arrogance. And so what we allow into our hearts is what will come out of our hearts. Reading elsewhere in Proverbs uh, now might lead us to the conclusion that we should never spend time with people that are foolish or sinful or who aren't like well-mannered believers. (laughs) After all, we don't want to be negatively influenced. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, this is why we read individual Proverbs in light of the whole Bible. (laughs) Because we don't uh, want to read one Bible verse and align our whole lives by this. Because if you read this Bible verse, you could walk away, and if this was the only Bible verse you read, you say, okay, I'm never going to hang out with anyone that doesn't know Jesus, (laughs) because they're all foolish. Right? Because they've, they've missed the main thing. But I don't think that's what the Bible says at all. Uh, and so let's look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? <clears throat> In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of wisdom itself. Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man <coughs> came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Look at that last line. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus is talking about Lady Wisdom, and he's saying, I fulfill Lady Wisdom. I am God's wisdom embodied. I am God's wisdom in the flesh. And so, what is Jesus here being accused of doing? He's being accused of spending time with foolish people, with with tax collectors and sinners. Sinners is a euphemism. Tax collectors were looked down upon. Sinners were looked down upon. And so, uh, if Jesus can hang out with foolish people, then we certainly can. Because we're called to be his followers, to do the things that he did. So Jesus here is claiming to be uh, wisdom embodied, and he's not afraid of sin. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to correct it and offer forgiveness. But he's not afraid to be around foolish people. Uh, instead, In the very next chapter, I think there's kind of a contrast where Jesus is modeling love and compassion to the the sinners and the tax collectors, but then he looks to the kind of the squeaky uh, squeaky clean religious people, and how does he treat them? He says, you brood of vipers. This is to the Pharisees, right? This is to the the best, most well-behaved kind of people. How can you who are evil say anything good, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of? So... uh, Wisdom and foolishness is much more a state of the heart than outward appearances. The more wisdom we have, 
the more we should be able to spend time with those that are foolish. But if you are someone who lacks wisdom, and if you are, you probably don't know it, (laughs) the less time you should probably spend with the foolish, the more time you need to spend with wise people. So we influence others by modeling godly character. I'm going to give a self-illustration here. Um, It's not the best, but uh, when I joined CrossFit, uh, one of the coaches made a comment uh, about me to another student during one of the classes. I don't remember exactly what he said, but something along these lines said, like, don't you know Jonathan is a Christian or a pastor or clergy? Yeah, you can tell because he never swears, (laughs) like everyone else. Now, this was not said in a, oh, isn't that great about Jonathan? Um, And I am not uh, highlighting my own holiness or anything here. But a little while after this, this led to a conversation where, um, well, not necessarily this thing itself, but he knew I was a Christian, and a little bit after this, he uh, just asked me some very, like, pointed theological questions about uh, uh, some hard things, and it led to me being able to share the gospel with him. Uh, And so it was cool how him knowing that I was a believer, uh, and maybe he focused on one little aspect of it, but it led to a gospel conversation. Now, I can think of other times in my own life uh, at the gym uh, where I have not modeled godly character, and I have sworn. And so I don't raise myself up as the perfect example at all. Uh, As you live your life to influence others for Christ, you are going to make mistakes and sin. I'm going to make mistakes and sin. But that's why we need the gospel. (laughs) If we never sinned, if we never fell down and we never uh, misspoke, we would never need Jesus. But that's why we need Jesus, right? Because we're not perfect. We do not operate out of perfection, but out of forgiveness here at this church, here as Christians. Godly character, hear this. Godly character is not about good behavior. It's about gospel behavior which is a life transformed by Jesus. Jesus is interested in the heart, and when our hearts are changed, those other things will change, right? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. But we focus not first on those outward things, we focus first on the heart and let God do the work. So influence number one is modeling godly character. Dealing with your heart so that you can do that in your place of work, on your front line, your family, your community, wherever that is. Influence number two is making good work. Obviously, your front line is the, the place where you spend the majority of your time, and for many of us, this is your workplace. This is your career. Maybe you are an engineer. You're at an engineering firm, or you're at a medical device company, or a high school, or library, or a grocery store. And it can be tempting to kind of clock in and clock out. Right? I did my work. I got paid. I'm going home. But Proverbs encourages working with excellence. Proverbs 29.2 says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. So there's kind of a a principle here, a, a principle of wisdom, that if we do good work, that will then have the natural consequence of us Um, perhaps getting promoted, our work getting recognized, uh, seeing some success. But does that mean that if we never experience that financial or career success that we're not uh, then doing good work? I don't think so. In the book To Change the World, James Davidson Hunter writes about a woman who bagged groceries. I'm just going to read it. 
And last not least is a woman who rang up and bagged groceries and whose sphere of influence was only six square feet. Every day she greeted her customers with genuine enthusiasm, remembering customers' names and asking about their families. She would end every conversation by saying that she was going to pray for their family. Over time, this caused problems, for people wanted to get in her aisle, which resulted in large lines. People would wait, though, because they enjoyed being with her, encouraged just by her presence. At her funeral, years after she retired, the church was packed to standing room only capacity, and she was eulogized again and again by people whom she had encouraged for years. I think that's a beautiful example of someone who made good work where they were, where God had them. She was bagging groceries, and she used that for the glory of God, and it changed people's lives. There is no task too big or too small that God can't use to change those around us. And so think about your job or task. Maybe you're a parent or you're in a job or you're a student. God can use you in that position doing good work to grow his kingdom. That's influence number two, making good work. Influence number three is ministering grace and love. My uh, lozenge is dissolving in my water, so it's a nice flavor now. Proverbs highlights the importance of ministering grace and love to others. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 say this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Now, when I preached this for the first time, we preached through this text before, I highlighted how this passage echoes the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, uh, with all your strength. And this is first a reminder to love God, to love him with your whole heart, to love his word, to love the scriptures. But it's also a reminder to love others, to let love and faithfulness as uh, as a state of being never leave us. And Fruitfulness on the Frontline, the author, Mark Green, shares another story. This is a different book, but I want to share this story as well. David's Frontline was his office. For some time, he'd been disappointed by the lack of any real opportunities to talk about Jesus directly. He'd prayed, he'd asked advice, but nothing seemed to happen. One Monday, one of his colleagues, James, failed to turn up to work. No one thought much about it. Probably just a spectacular weekend. But when he didn't turn up the following day, David called him, even though he wasn't a particular friend of his. Are you okay? No, I'm feeling terrible. I haven't been able to get out of bed for three days. Is anyone looking after you? No, I live alone, and my family are miles away. Have you got the right medicine? I haven't even got food. Anyways, to cut a long conversation short, David went round to see James that evening. Got him into the shower, changed the linen, took him to the doctor, got the medicine, bought the food, and went to see him every evening for a week. During that, during that week, James never asked David a single question about why he was doing all this for him. However, within a week of James's return to work, David found himself inundated with opportunities to talk about the gospel. James had told everyone what David had done. And he found himself accosted in the lifts, in the corridors, in the cafeteria. His colleagues simply couldn't understand why he'd done it. David replied carefully and humbly to all who asked, It is nothing I did, 
I have chosen to model my life on the life and teachings of Jesus. And I think that what I did is the kind of thing he would have done. It's a really beautiful story. Uh, And it's amazing how when we slow down and we pay attention and we begin to pray for our places of work, for our front lines, for our places that we're around, that God can begin to do something. Uh, It just begins with listening and being willing. And so we want to model that Christ-like Uh, character, we want to make good work, and we want to minister grace and love to those around us. But there are other ways. These are all about consistency, consistency in who we are and in our actions. But there's three more M's, and these demonstrate courage. Uh, They take a little bit of courage. Influence number four is molding culture. To mold culture means to use your wisdom to influence your environment, to influence your environment and the people in it, to change how the institutions and organizations you're a part of operate. So this could be the organization of your family. This could start at a very small level. How can you uh, change the culture of your family? How can you mold that? How can you mold the the culture of your workplace or your church? Uh, We've already talked about culture. How can you um, um, mold the culture of a parent group or or your gym or your city? So here in Proverbs, it does talk about molding the culture of your family. Proverbs 27, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Now you can also use, you can mold your family, but you can also use uh, wisdom to mold uh, larger institutions and even a city. Proverbs 11.11 says this, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. So I think we will most effectively mold culture uh, when, we, uh, when we aim to mold the culture that we are um, uh, closest to, right? Where God has placed us. Uh, I know it's tempting to say, I want to mold this culture uh, that's like way out and around us. And, uh, and, and sometimes God gives us opportunities to do that. But I think first he calls us to, to mold the culture that we're already right near. At the conference, the speaker uh, he, Neil Hudson, he told us the story of the city of Colerain in North Ireland, Northern Ireland. Uh, and there's a church in this city. Uh, they're a church plant that's grown to 2,500. And he, was, he made a joke, that, like, don't you hate it when you hear a story like that? Uh, there's a whole bunch of pastors. We really related to that. Uh, so they're a church plant. They're not too old. They've grown to 2,500 people. But they haven't done it by pandering, uh, he said, or by giving a cheap gospel. Instead, they've encouraged, the people, uh, encouraged their flock to live for Jesus uh, wherever he has them. And so they did a little study of their church, and they, they did this estimation. They estimated that 2% of the city worshipped with them on Sunday. They're about a uh, town of uh, 20,000 or, or more. So 2% of the city worshipped with them on a Sunday. Uh, 10% comes through their doors in a week and then uh, when they scatter, and when they actually go out into their community, they're in contact with 70% of call rain. That's pretty amazing. So I bet we as a small church of 80 people come in contact with thousands throughout our week on our front lines, just the people that you normally every day rub shoulders with. How might God use that? There is a real opportunity to mold the culture, the culture of Westward, the culture of our, our workplaces, our communities, as we come in contact with lots and lots of people. So influence number four is molding culture. Influence number five is a messenger of the gospel. 
<clears throat> maybe you've realized uh, from this sermon, but there are a variety of ways to influence others for Christ. Now, I think there's been a message in Christian culture that the only worthwhile thing is to tell others about Jesus. That is absolutely worthwhile, but it's not the only thing. God does care about evangelism, uh, and I think there was a, a shift in culture where it's like, okay, we're going to tell others about Christ, and then it kind of flipped. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter if we tell others about Christ. We just want to be good and, and live godly lives. It's, it's neither one of those things only. God wants both. God wants both a life that is lived for him, but then he also wants us to go out and share about uh, his son, Christ Jesus. Proverbs 25, 25 says this, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. That's beautiful. We have the best news. We have the gospel. Now, as believers, we have this good news in its fullness. Proverbs didn't have a, a full picture of the good news. Romans says something similar. It says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what is the good news? Well, good news means gospel. It's the simple uh, reminder that Jesus came, he lived a, a perfect life. That means he never disobeyed God. And, uh, and he followed Christ, he followed his father in obedience to the cross, where God called upon Christ to give up his life, to pay the penalty for our sins. He died, and then he rose again three days later. And this was a miracle. God raised him from the dead. Uh, but by doing this, God gave us hope that one day if we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, we too will rise from the grave. That's beautiful. That's what we're about here at Cornerstone. Uh, and, and, and this sacrifice that Christ Jesus did, this good news, is that, is that now we can be in a right relationship with God. I guess the exciting thing is let's share it with others. Right? This is, this is, we, we get to have eternal life. We want those around us to experience eternal life as well. And so this is why we share the gospel. How beautiful are your feet as you share the gospel? And so... Who is the Lord uh, kind of putting on your heart in your mind to share the gospel with this week or this month? Who might you begin to pray about? Lord, uh, I want to have a gospel conversation with this person, this coworker, or with anyone else you bring into my path, but I'm scared. I'm nervous. Uh, it feels uncomfortable. Well, uh, begin to pray. That's kind of the first step, right? You can't just go out there and conquer your fears. Just begin to pray. See what God might do. Uh, see how God might uh, redirect your feet and the conversations he might open up. So pray that the Lord would give us all chances to share the gospel with those around us in his timing. And influence number six is a mouthpiece for truth and justice. Uh, the book of Proverbs cries out again and against, against social and economic injustices, against systemic injustices. The wicked accept bribes in secret to pervert the courts of justice. God promises to defend those who are most economically and socially at risk. Proverbs 23, 10 through 11 says this, Do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless, for their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Their defender is strong. God is their defender. And so likewise, we need to speak up for truth and justice around us in our front lines and in our culture. James Davidson Hunter writes this. He gives an example of some people who were able to do this. 
a group of business leaders in Houston generated the funds to establish a private faith-based school in the most poverty and crime-ridden part of the city. The school exclusively serves children from low-income families with a program designed to provide them the education, spiritual, social, and practical resources they need in life. Partnering with Forge for Families, the school reach, reaches out to address the needs of the families as well as providing counseling, life skills, training, an addiction program, and the like. In its own words, the school exists to promote human flourishing among Houston's poorest families. And so, this is a beautiful example that maybe you'll have an opportunity to be a part of something like that, but maybe you'll have an opportunity to be part of truth and justice in a different way, in a way that God is calling you to do. Uh, maybe there's an issue uh, in your own life that you can think of. You're like, man, there is something up at work that is just not right, and I need to speak up in truth and justice. Well, maybe God is calling you to do that. That's really hard. I don't want to um, underestimate how difficult that can be. Maybe God is calling you to speak up or uh, in, your, in your family or on your, uh, with your classmates. Uh, now, in our, our, our message today, we went through six M's. The first three are about consistency, modeling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love. Next three are about courage, molding culture, being a messenger of the gospel, and a mouthpiece for truth and justice. And so my question to each one of us is to, uh, my challenge is, which one of these are you going to try to put into practice this week? Is there one that resonated with you that, you know what, I, I need to work on modeling a little bit more godly character? Or, you know, I really, I want to try to mold the culture that I'm around. Or, uh, I, you know, the Lord's laying this person on my heart, and I really do want to share the gospel with them. Uh, hopefully the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and challenging you to, to put into practice one of these things. And if he's not, yeah, well, just Pray. Pray and, and try to discern what is the Holy Spirit saying to me. Be open. You know, the Lord may put one thing on your mind, number two, making good work. And then by the end of the week, you have a real opportunity uh, to minister grace and love to someone. And so we want to be open and aware of what God might do in our lives uh, and through our church, uh, through uh, these six M's, through, through the book of Proverbs. Now, whatever it is that God calls you to do, I want you to know that Christ is going to be with you. Jesus is going to be with you on your front line. Jesus is not just here at church, he is out in the world, and he is where we are every day walking with us. And so go with that confidence. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your people and just the, uh, your church, this gracious community, Lord. I pray that we would hear from this message what you want us to hear and that we would uh, live our lives for you in the context that you have given us. Lord, we love you so much. We need you. We're excited to be a part of what you're doing where we're at. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.